0: Hey everybody, it's Kevin, Sky Labs, bringing you another podcast. In this episode, we asked everybody to submit some questions that might be a little bit long-winded, maybe something that's a little bit too long to reply to in an email or one of our social media message groups, and that's what everybody did. So in this episode, I'm going to go over those questions and give you my answers. Hopefully you enjoy it. Sit back, grab yourself a drink, maybe get yourself a jog in, and let's get into the episode. Here are the questions. Thanks. Here in this first question, I wanted to go over. If you're hearing a sniffing and a snorting, it's my my dog Iggy. He wants to uh, he wants to be here, so you'll have to excuse him. He's not the most uh, graceful um, snorter and sniffer. Anyway, uh, there are plenty of vintage stereo repairmen in my city. I'm a bit hesitant about taking my 1970s vintage Marantz amplifier in for repairs. Any tips on deciding who or how I should choose a repair shop? I've even thought about driving like two and a half hours to your store for repairs. Um, You know, this is like, to me, it's the same as taking your car to a mechanic. Uh, You really, at least for me, I have to really be able to trust the mechanic because I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to cars. So I could be blindsided or railroaded very easily they could tell me that they are going to replace the fluid in my headlights and I would probably buy it kidding. But, uh, to, to his point, my theory is the longer the business has been in business, the more, the more likely that they're doing good work. You know, um, unfortunately you can't necessarily go off reviews. Word of mouth is always the best. You could always ask on audio karma if somebody else has used their service. Although, a lot of times people only post negative things because it's more interesting. It gets more views than if they post positive things. So unfortunately, I think the best thing to do it maybe to go in there, talk to them in person. Don't call them on the phone. Go in there in person, introduce yourself, tell them what you've got, what you'd like repaired, and then get a feel for them if they seem honest, I, I think you just kind of got to put your faith into it a little bit. So, unfortunately, I don't really have a really good answer for that. A lot of times, repair places hide their technicians, and that was one thing I didn't want to do when we opened Skylabs. When you walk in our door, uh, you can you can see all the technicians working, and you can ask them a question. You know, it it's not easy on them because you know they're trying to work. And they're they're focusing, but I didn't want to hide the text because I feel like we don't have anything to hide, and there's no reason there's no reason to keep them behind a wall that you can't talk to them. So that's always a bonus if you can go in and talk to the technician, um, you can get a pretty good feel on it. I mean, I don't think you want to drill them. I don't think you want to, you know, ask them if they specifically worked on your piece of equipment. You're talking about a vintage Marantz piece. If if they've been in the business very long at all, they've worked on vintage Marantz. And anybody that can read a schematic can pretty much work on any of this equipment. You don't need an expert in vintage Marantz. You need a competent tech and a schematic. That's it. So, sorry, I don't have anything better for you there. But um, my advice would be, you know, go and check the place out. Does it look like a Does it look like a front? or do they look like they do quality work? That's the best I got. And next question, what's the percentage of repaired gear you don't have a schematic for? And that is zero. Uh, We have really narrowed down what we work on. I know we have disgruntled customers that bring in equipment we don't work on. And I try for the most part to be as polite as possible when telling somebody we don't work on their gear because I don't want them to take it personally. It's just, we have learned over the years, what is repairable? And we are already four or five months behind on repairs anyway. So taking on stuff that is challenging and unfortunately pushing that repair time even further back just doesn't make sense. We like working on the things that we know we can fix and we're good at. And that gives us a really high success rate. There's very few pieces that come through the door that we cannot fix. And we we like it that way. That means that the customer's happy. And that means that we're happy that we're providing a service that we can do. It's not because we're snobs. It's not because we don't like your gear. It's because either there's bad literature for it. There's a lot of proprietary parts that we have trouble sourcing or that piece of equipment is really just kind of, it's kind of a dick to work on. If you do bring in a piece of gear and we don't work on it, I'm very sorry. We, we do the best we can to make sure that we have a high success rate in our repair department. And that's why. We are so picky with what we work on. Yeah, no schematic. We're going to pass. Thanks for the question. It's a good question. And then another question. Does a recap change the sound? And if so, how? Personally, I do not think doing a recap will change the sound, especially on the power supply. But you're going to hear different things on that. That's kind, of, um, that's kind of a hot topic. I do think, beings that these capacitors, at least in the vintage equipment, are 40 or 50 years old. If it does change it, it's going to be for the better. You know, if if these caps are leaking, and they're not doing, they don't sound original anyway. So if you're changing the sound, you're actually changing it to what it should be or, or what it was originally. So that's the best I got on that. I changed mine for reliability. I'm not trying to improve the sound. I am just trying to keep that piece working. That's why I changed mine. If it makes it sound better, that's that's great. But it's not my intention. Why does vintage sound so good and different from many... Well, um, I think this comes down to why does vintage sound better than new? I don't think it does. I just think you have to spend a lot of money to get the same quality as you can with vintage. So... You know, if you're comparing um, a 70s Marantz or Pioneer or Yamaha to a modern Marantz Pioneer Yamaha AV receiver, it's not really much of a comparison because, one, those are made for... Really, those are made more for home theater. Usually, they're Class D amplifiers. Audio is kind of their last concern. If you compare, like, the new Yamaha Class AB line... I think that is completely different. Uh, I think I think the new the new well made stuff is really really good. It's just it's kind of out of my price range at least, and it's most likely out of most people's. You know, you're talking six seven thousand dollars for um, a new integrated amplifier from Yamaha that's pretty much the same specs as a vintage Yamaha integrated amplifier. So. I don't think vintage is superior in all ways. I think it's just more economical and it's also repairable, which is nice too. So people might laugh at this, but I love the thrifty side of vintage because a $1000 for let's say a Yamaha CA1010 that's pretty thrifty considering how much that 1010 cost somebody in the 70s or how much it would cost for a brand new one today because we can see It's about six grand. Anyway, hopefully that answers that question. Why would a double album made in the 70s have sides one and four on one disc and sides two and three on one disc? Let's see, somebody replied on this, and I think I know the reason. It just says you're going to love the answer to this fine question. I don't know why they did it in the 70s, but I do know in the 50s and 60s, it was for those record stackers. So um, if you wanted to put, You know both the records on let's say a dual turntable that has a stacking mechanism, it would play side A, and then it would drop down the second record, which would be side B, and it would play that through. Then you would take those two records off, you'd flip them over, and you'd hit start again, and then it would play um, C and D. Does that make sense? Because that is the reason I was told, was for record stacking. Most turntables in the 50s and 60s and even up through the middle of the 70s if you remember the big console stereos and you know the duels and the gerards techniques even made a turntable in the early 80s that had a stacking spindle on it and that's what it was for uh this quick vinyls why yeah i i think you're uh talking about why they call it vinyls and i don't know i hate it too um it's vinyl i'm not really it's their records i don't care what you call it though it doesn't matter it, it does kind of cringe me though a little bit when somebody will say, how many vinyls do you have? Yeah. Uh, looks like one more question. I'm an electronic musician. I've recently gotten into integrating vintage hi-fi gear into my music. I use an SAE 2800 parametric EQ, and the price for a comparable modern pro audio hardware EQ would be much higher with much less inspiring controls. This got me to thinking about other ways I might be able to use Vintage hi-fi gear for my music. I was wondering if it would make sense to use vintage speakers for monitoring using an EQ to get as flat a frequency response as possible. The cost difference would be significant when compared to similar size speakers on modern studio monitors. That's a tough one. Well, I mean, if you had a spectrum analyzer, And, you know, however you get flat, you know, if you can get flat with vintage speakers and an EQ, personally, I don't think there's any difference between flat using flat new reference monitors. Uh, You're, you know, it's both are going to the same place. So, you know, I'm all about budget stuff too. You know, uh, it makes sense to me. I know somebody out there might, you know, cringe at that, but, um, you know, maybe they've got an unlimited budget, and I get it, you know, you don't, and I don't. So, you know, I, I do know, you know, Yamaha NS10s, and I just got a pair of those recently, you know, that, that was a benchmark in the 70s for, for studio monitors, and I used Alesis Monitor 1s forever. I don't think it's as important to get to zero. I think you just want to, to me, I think it's more important to just have a benchmark, you know, knowing what a pair of speakers sounds like so you can compare it to other things you know like engineers in the 70s and 80s would travel with their monitors even though most studios had ns10s engineers wanted their ns10s because they knew how they sounded and i think that's more important than getting flat is knowing what your speakers sound like and knowing what they sound like compared to other things you know it's like when, when I used to do a lot of recording, I would listen to my mixes on several stereos, uh, you know, like a crappy a crappy portable radio. I would put it in my car. I would listen to it on my Serwin Vegas up in my living room, and I would listen to it on my Alesis monitor once. And I knew by comparing the sound, the way those all sounded, what changes I need to make in the mix in order for it to sound good on any system. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd worry about it that much. It's a really great question and I don't think you can go wrong either way, but I do think it's more about just knowing the speakers that you are using really well and knowing how those monitors compare to most consumer grade audio products. I I know that's not maybe the best answer, but I, I, that's the best I got. So anyway, Hey, thanks guys for, for putting these questions up here. Um, We'll do this again. And if, if this is something you guys enjoyed, um, it didn't take anything for me to just uh you know, wrap off some answers real quick. So anyway. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Skylabs Vintage Audio Podcast. We do appreciate you subscribing, liking the content, and if you're really enjoying it, head on over to Skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop. There you'll find a lot of really cool Skylabs merchandise like platter mats and t-shirts. We also have custom-built speaker stands. There's a really good selection of Grado cartridges and headphones. We are always adding merchandise to the store, so if you haven't stopped by in a while, head over to SkylabsAudio.com forward slash shop and see what we've added. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. We'll see you in the next one.